0: Well, hey, you might notice we have some youth up here on stage yeah. this Sunday. So, um, it's fun for me. I was back in my office arguing with some of them over whether or not Taylor Swift is awesome. So I won't tell you which side I was on. Uh, <laughs> um, but here, I, before they leave, um, I asked for a service who we could make a pact for this church to like never become the church that has that attitude like, you know, young people don't love Jesus today, like that that disdain or that looking down on the next generation. I want us to be a church that's looking to them uh, because they're, they're now, they're next, they're, they're what's coming here, and uh, I want to invest in that. So can we, can we do that instead? Mm-hmm. Good, good. Good job. Get off the stage. No, I'm just <laughs> you guys can sit down. It is, though, at the forefront of my mind, um, as I start to realize that I'm getting older. that was a question. Still, still, I don't know what that means. Whether or not I am older or not. Um, I think one of the things that tells me that I'm getting older is everybody. Who is younger than me looks like they're 12, isn't it? Like that, just everybody looks 12 now. So I don't, I don't know, um, but I know that I want to be a church that continues to reach uh, whoever's next. So, all right, Uh, one of my least favorite things as a preacher. uh, So I I watch people preach all the time. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I never, I never not have a sermon on uh, when I'm doing something. So one of my least favorite things though is when the The preacher uh, makes the people listening like participate. I hate that. Um, Like when they make you say a word, like, hey, say this word with me. I was gonna be like, no, you. (laughs) <laughs> it's, your, it's your job, man. Like, you say the word. Or the, the thing where they make you turn to your neighbor and say something. You ever, like, turn to your neighbor and tell them? Like, no, man, you tell them. Like, it's what you're supposed to do here. Now, the reason I don't like that stuff, um, I know this about myself, two things. One, I'm an introvert, so I don't like when you make me talk. And then two... Uh, I am like this, this. I got this rebellious streak in me, so like if you tell me to do something, I automatically don't want to do that thing. Um, so whenever those two, th- you know, those two things come together, uh, I just kind of reject that. So um, because I don't like it, I never make you do it, right? If you've been going to this church for any amount of time, you know that I, I, I rarely would make you participate, I rarely make you speak, I definitely never make you turn to your neighbor and say anything. Um, now I'm not setting you up, but today I'm not. I'm not doing that. We're not. We're not going to. So what I want to do, though, I want you to um, imagine in your head what you would do if I did do that. Um, okay, so this is just this is a hypothetical. It's a mental exercise. I don't want you to actually do it. I don't want you to actually participate. I'm not going to make you do that, but I do want you to imagine what you would do if I did. Um, and try as you're imagining, try, I know it's hard, but try to turn off, if you're an introvert, to try and turn off that side of your brain. Like, don't include that in, in the way you're thinking about it. And if you're a rebel like me and you're like, the moment you tell me to do it, I'm not going to do it. Try to turn that off, too. Can you do that? All these things. I know it's a complicated start. Um, but mental exercise, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to imagine. Don't actually do this. This is hypothetical. In your head, not out loud. Okay? You with me? Don't do this. Don't do it, but do it. Don't. Don't. Ready? Okay. If I said... Stand up right now if you want to be great. Would you stand up? Don't stand up in your head. Would you stand up? I half thought that somebody who's rebellious would stand up as a rebellion of me telling you not to stand up. I thought maybe somebody would have that in high gear. Um, it's all right. I'm a little disappointed in you, your lack of rebellion. Would you stand up if if, you, if I said the sentence? Do you want to be great? Um, now, I, I, that's a. I guess I I think there's probably two groups, right? There's there's those of you who in your head, you stood up. I want to be great. That's me. Uh, and maybe you have you know maybe that's an in faith thing like hey someday you know maybe that's a confident thing or maybe even a cocky thing. You're like yeah man that's that's what I'm about. Um, so you would, you would stand up. Uh, and then obviously the other group is those of you who imagined not standing up. Now that's a complicated group. If you said, man, I wouldn't have stood up. Now for some of you, if you gotta be honest with yourself and say, well, I have a hard time imagining what it would be like to not be an introvert, so that's actually still playing a factor. Even in the imaginary scenario where I didn't actually have to physically stand up, I couldn't imagine what it would be like. So you have to admit that. But for other reasons why you might not wanna make the statement I want to be great. Maybe for some of you it's, yeah, um, I've got enough failures in my past that there's just no way I could make that statement. I've just failed so many times. Or maybe, maybe there's a voice inside your head that's, that's telling you things about yourself, you know, that you're a loser, that you're, you're, you're never going to, you can't, and, and that voice is telling you uh, you can't stand up, or, or maybe it's other people's voices. Um, maybe you grew up being told all the time that you are not anything like great, uh, and that would prevent you from standing up. Um, Maybe, maybe some of you would not imagine yourself standing up because you think greatness is something that Christians aren't supposed to pursue. Um, And if you were going to get into an argument about it, you would use words like pride or comparison like their cuss words that that Christians are not supposed to uh, have any part of, and those things would be some of your reasons to not want to pursue greatness in your life. And you'd make some good points. You'd lose the argument to me, but you'd make some good points. So maybe we should ask it different. Maybe I shouldn't ask whether you would stand if you want to be great. Maybe I should ask, Does God want you to be great? Maybe that's a better question. Um, Would God want you to stand up? If I said, "Hey, greatness is on the table. Stand up if you want to pursue it," instead of asking, "Do I want that?" If you asked, "Does God want that?" Would you be on your feet? So I want to look at a story today where uh, Jesus is asked a question and it leads to a conversation about greatness and it's going to show us how he thinks about it and God's opinion on this subject in your life. Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 20. Uh, Here's what happens. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with their sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. Uh, So imagine the scene. You have Jesus standing here and you have three people come up. Uh, You've got uh, this mom and then you have two sons behind her. Uh, And she kneels down. To ask Jesus a question. So that's kind of the scene that you should have in your head. Now, a little bit about these two behind the mom. uh, James and John. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that he had 12 followers, right? 12 close disciples. Now, James and John are some of those 12. But even more than that, um, Jesus had like an inner circle, so to speak, of three people. Peter, James, and John. And they're in that. So these two are about as close to Jesus while he was on this earth as, as, as anyone else, right? They have this really tight relationship with him. Uh, but they walk up behind their mom here. Now, fun story about these two, just to give you a little flavor. Um, they had a nickname, uh sons of thunder and the coolest part about this is that jesus gave them the nickname and i, I love that so the, the way they got this nickname is they uh they were going from town to town and this one town like disrespected jesus so these two turned to jesus and they're like hey jesus can we call fire down from heaven on that town and get, like i don't know i just imagine the scene where jesus just stands there <laughs> have you heard nothing that i've been saying at all right um, so Jesus gives them this nickname, Sons of Thunder. And I love that Jesus, one just like imagining that Jesus give nicknames, and then two, he's using it as like a teaching tool. Like, no, Sons of Thunder, we're not going to do that. Like, and he actually uses it to kind of teach them like, to not be like that. Um, so that's a little bit of the flavor of these two. Very close to Jesus, got a fiery personality. You can tell they're, they're, they lead um, with their face a little bit in life. And it's their mom who's in front here. She kneels down and then she asks this in verse 21 uh, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Whew. Now, that's a massive request, right? So they believed Jesus to be the Messiah, they believed that he was going to be setting up a kingdom like, on the earth shortly. Like, they thought Jesus was going to conquer Rome. This is going to be a thing. He's going to have a throne. It was going to be, like, happening soon. So she's asking, hey, when this all goes down, can my boys sit on either side of you? Now, um, knee-jerk reaction when you're reading this story. just Try to imagine you've never read it before. Like, um, I immediately, I don't know about you, I immediately think less of James and John after this. I, I disrespect them for this. Uh, because, one, um, uh, what they're asking to the way they asked it, right? Uh, if you're gonna ask for something like that, don't you think like, you should ask it? <laughs> like, Can you imagine like going into a job interview and being like, actually, this is my mom. She's gonna tell you why you should give me this job. Like, that's just weird, right? To, to stand off to the side like this while she's having the conversations. What I thought of immediately was, um, remember when you were a kid, and your friend wanted to come like spend the night and you knew you were smart enough to know that you wouldn't go ask your parent that question. You would send your friend to go ask the question, right? Because you're more likely to get it. My kids know this. My kids never ask me. They send their friend to ask me and they have one friend who they always get the yes. So they know who to position to get the answer they want. I almost kind of feel like that's what James and John did. They were like talking like, hey, we want these seats. What's the best way to go about it? You know what? Let's send mom. Mom, mom's going to be best at this. You know, Jesus will have a harder time saying no to her than she, he would to us. Um, so I don't know I'm just like dude that's that's lame like if you want to sit at the right and the left of Jesus you should like ask yourself maybe your mom should sit there maybe she's better at this than you Um, but it's also what they ask for right they ask for seats of honor and again try to I know Christian you've heard this story before just try to imagine not doesn't that just like sound wrong you're asking to sit next to Jesus, and this just sounds like, the, like a thing you shouldn't be asking for. It sounds like a question that you get shamed for. Like Jesus should, should be like, hold up, hold up, and like look at them and be like, really guys, you're asking that? That's your question today? Like, like Jesus is actually gonna get after them for that. Like he's gonna tell them, hey, wrong question, dummies. Um, he didn't call people dummies. I do. Um, now, He actually answers this question in detail. But I want to drop down to a specific part and then we'll go back to look at some of the details. But I want to point this out first. Um, So if you drop down to 26, he says this. Whoever wants to become great among you must. And then he tells you something. But I don't want to tell you what that is yet. Because what I want to point out is what he says right here. This little part of a sentence. Whoever wants to become great should, so what he could have said there is you shouldn't want that. Greatness is not something you should be pursuing in your life. He could have said that, right? It almost, from our perspective, should have been the thing he said. He didn't say, hey, that's a really prideful question. What's going on in you guys? So what is it? You know, maybe you should guys could go search your heart for what's going on for asking that. He didn't say, hey, um, Comparison is like the thief of joy, you know? And so you should never come, I'm sorry, this is like my mocking Christian <laughs> author's voice, where, that, how many of you have read an article, in Christ, some kind of Christian article that, that that's the title? Th- comparison is the thief of joy. Jesus could have said, you're comparing your future seat in the kingdom to somebody else's future seat in the kingdom, and you shouldn't be comparing. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. They wanted the best seats in the kingdom. And Jesus didn't tell them not to want them. That's important. Again, I, I wanna look at what he says here, but I wanna just focus in on this part of the sentence and point out to you that Jesus does not forbid pursuing greatness. He explains it. He's like, oh, that's what you want? Okay, well, let me tell you about it. And that's a really important thing, Christian. I mean, Again, if you grew up in the church like me, I think this was kind of, it's never, we never go right at it, but there's a lot of like Christian circles that kind of have this attitude like if you actually want to be great, you have a pride problem. If you actually want to be great, you have a comparison problem. If you actually want to be great, you have a competition problem. And that's not what Jesus says here. So I actually have a belief That inside of every single one of us, built in, there is a desire for greatness. That that God gave you a built in draw towards greatness in your life. Somewhere inside of you, there's a magnet. And it could be buried deep. It could be buried real deep. It could be buried deep underneath those failures, underneath those, those times that you, you tried and, and couldn't quite succeed. So, so that draw towards greatness is buried under that. It could be buried underneath, I don't know, the monotony of your life. You're like, I've just lived the same life, day in, day out, and the monotony and the boring, and, the, and that just kind of beats down this draw towards greatness. It could be your own self-talk. You could be talking yourself out of that. Um, it could be those voices from the past telling you that you're not that, that you're never going to be that. It could be a theological stance that this desire inside of me should be wrong. I shouldn't be wanting that. A, that, that must be my, my sinful nature that's drawn towards that. There could be a lot of things that are beating down this desire, but I think it's there. I think you have a draw towards greatness in your life. So here's my, here's my logic. I'll start with. Something I I hope we all agree on. My first reason, beginning of reasoning, is God is great. Amen? God is great. He is. Second, um, you are a child of God, right? Christian, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you're a child of God. So uh, God is great. You're a child of God. Therefore, you have greatness in your spiritual DNA, that this is, this is a thing, there is a line here that if God is great and you are his child, there's something in you that should be drawing you towards greatness. Now, if you don't like that logic, let me give you some verses. <laughs> I realized first service I built this sermon like an argument with someone who was trying to argue against greatness. So if you're like, I wasn't even arguing too bad, you're fighting me now. Okay. Um, and I, like, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna always talk about these verses. You're like, I think he's talked about this before. I'm going to keep talking about this. I'm gonna keep putting this in your face. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 are some of the most important verses in the Bible. So it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it. If you are a Christian, what that means is that you put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's what Jesus did, not what you do. That has nothing to do with your resume. It's Jesus' resume. A Christian is a person who's put their faith in Jesus. I want to just keep saying that over and over and over again. It's not you. It's not what you did. It's what he did. It's your faith in that. Don't forget that. And then he says, I feel like it's important to include nine and ten whenever, or, nine, or eight and nine before you ever talk about ten. But he, after he says you've been saved by grace through faith, he says in verse ten, "For we are God's masterpiece." He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He said that about you. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things he thought about a long time ago. You are a masterpiece with a destiny, a masterpiece with a destiny. And what I... So think about what what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to convince you that somewhere inside of you, there's a draw towards greatness. I'm trying to convince you that, that God put that desire there. And some of you actually are kind of mentally pushing back on that, right? "Eh, Maybe that's other people, but it's not me. And you're like trying to get away, which is funny that I'm arguing you towards believing that God has a big plan for your life, that God created you as a masterpiece and you're trying to push away from that. Like some overdeveloped sense of humility is causing you to shrink back from this thing that God is actually calling you to. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's the thing. It's it's that you think these things about yourself that's preventing you from being drawn towards that. But can you look at that verse and say that God just called you his masterpiece. So if you are trying to take the stance that you aren't great, what are you saying about him who created you? If he's looking at you and saying you're a masterpiece and you're like, I'm not that good, well, you just insulted the artist, right? You just insulted the artist who did, who did this thing that he's calling a masterpiece. So even if you have the overdeveloped sense of humility and all the, the woe is me and I'm not that good, but like, hey, think about what you're saying about God in that. Jesus, I think Jesus lived a great life, right? If, if we just use Jesus as an example, um, he pursued greatness in everything that he did and perfectly succeeded. Um, so, I actually think that you pursuing greatness in your life can be a way that you bring glory to God, not to you. You bring glory to the one who created you. You becoming who you were born to be, you pursuing the potential that God has placed inside of you, can bring glory to God. That is a good thing to pursue. So I wanna argue not not just that it's okay to pursue greatness, I wanna argue that it's not okay not to pursue greatness. And it's not a double negative if you do it on purpose, so I did that on purpose. It's not okay not to pursue greatness. You were made for it, you were designed for it, you are called to it, You're, you're a daughter of the king, you are a son of the most high. If you aim for anything less than great, your sights are too low. You were made for it. I believe you're drawn to it. But I also think, so I think that's inside of you. maybe, Maybe you can't feel it, but I actually think that God put a draw towards greatness inside of you. He put a draw towards you becoming the person he created you to be. That's in there. There's a magnet. It might be buried, but it's there. Now, I also think, though, that we have this human tendency to, like, settle for things, like like we find a certain altitude to fly at in our life and that's like our cruising altitude and we just kind of get stuck at that altitude. And we never pull up on the joystick, we never, we never go up, we just, get, we just get stuck. It's like a groove that we get into that we walk it enough that it becomes a rut and it never changes and we just get used to living the certain kind of way that we live and we never look up. A tendency to not become what God created us to become. And I get it. I think life, again, the monotony of life can kind of just beat you into mediocrity, right? You can kind of just get into this thing where there's so much, I'm working so hard to just maintain the altitude that I'm currently at that I don't have time to look up. But I, I have a dumb little illustration that... Um, I think can apply to anything. So if you don't work out, you probably, you already hate this because it's going to be a workout illustration. Sorry. Um, I hate this too. So it's about planks. You guys know what planks are? It's like, like imagine, I'm not doing it. Somebody's like in first service. Why don't you do it? I'm like, I'm already sweating. I don't do anything and I'm sweating. I'm not going to work out up here. Um, It's like where you get down like in a push-up position but you're holding yourself up and you you just sit there you're not doing anything, but it's incredibly difficult. And then if you're a wuss, you go down on your, on your elbows, because so that's easier. Or if you're a bigger wuss, you go down on your knees, and you just hold yourself up, and you're laughing right now, because that's what you do, wuss. Okay. Um, it's not a fun exercise. I put, so my list of least favorite exercises is burpee plank. Okay, so this is a, I hate this exercise, it's the worst. But they did this study, uh, comparing people who work out with other people and people who work out alone. And they just look at their plank time, and they found that people who work out with other people can hold a plank 24% longer than people who work out alone. Now, you, or, that means a lot of things. Um, you know, atypical Christian, people, see, that means you need to do, like, do life with other Christians. and no, 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 I don't care about all that right now. The only thing I care about, the only thing I care about is that what that shows you is that they could do more than they thought they could. That there was more there than what they realized inside of themselves. That they Listen, what it means is they didn't fail, they quit. And there's a world of difference between the two. So what I'm trying to convince you of is that maybe sometimes in your life it's not that you're failing, it's that you're, you're quitting. It's not that you're breaking down, it's that you're stopping short. It's not that you're hitting your head on your capacity, it's you making... A choice. There's more there than you think. That's all I wanna say with that illustration, that there's more there than you think. Now, I'm also aware that this could be, for some of you, like a massive burden upon your life. That here here I am, and again, I'm with the best of intentions, trying to convince you that God has placed greatness inside of you. That God wants you to become who he created you to be, and that that is some kind of great, there is a great version of you, and I want to push you towards that. And again, best of intentions. But some of you might be hearing this as a massive burden upon your back, because you're sitting here saying, dude, I'm like all about the mediocre life. And I'm exhausted already. And now you're telling me that I'm called to great. So this might be a thing where you feel like I'm just piling it on here saying, you just need to try harder in life. But that's not what I'm saying. All I want here is a mentality. All I want here is for you to stop thinking. (sighs) I'm trying to tear down walls in your life that you put up. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, It's about the story you tell yourself about yourself. It's the story you tell yourself about yourself. You have, some of you have limits in your life that were not placed there by God, they were placed there by you. And I just wanna say if you put limits on yourself, if you put barriers up in your life, they don't belong there. You should take them down. I just want to get you to expand your thinking, to believe in a deeper purpose, to believe that those, those barriers you've placed need to come down. Um, I don't want it to be a burden. I'm just trying to grab you by the chin and get you to look up a little bit. Stop being so zeroed in on what you think are your own limitations and look up and ask God what the possibilities are. That's all I'm doing here. So again, please don't hear this as a burden. So, Jesus doesn't forbid pursuing greatness, he actually explains it. So I want to back up and look at all the stuff that Jesus says here, because he, he actually says a surprising amount about this, and I, I think it's really, really helpful. Um, so, just so we're keeping on the same page, what I hope right now is going on inside of you is that you're drawn towards this. That even if the flame is just a tiny little flicker, that you have some draw towards saying, man, man. God created me for a purpose. He created me to be a certain person. And I want to be that. Whatever great is for me, I want that. Catch up. Okay, you there? Good. Pretend if you're not. Okay, good. You guys okay today? It's like really warm in here. That's why I didn't want to do a plank. I'm already sweating. Also, I didn't want you to time me. And then somebody, that's what I'm like, oh. somebody even said it, and they're like, well, if, if you work out with one person, you go 24% longer. What if you had a whole crowd of people watching? How much longer can you go? I'm like, I don't know, because I never do planks, ever. So I'd never find out what the, what the increase is. All right, so Jesus is going to explain greatness here. Um, So keep in mind, here's the the scene. Jesus is standing here. Mom bends, she kneels down to ask Jesus a question. Um, Will you let my boys sit on either side of you? They're standing back here. Jesus answers them, not her. That's kind of cool. He doesn't answer her. He looks at them. And here's what he says in verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Again, he ain't looking at mom now. He's looking at them and they say, oh, yes, we are able. I love that. I love that. Man, did your, do your kids ever do this to you? My kids do this to me all the time. So like, for example, we live in a four bedroom house. We have, we have four kids. So there's, you know, a couple of them are bunked up and they're always like, well, why don't we just, why don't we just move to a bigger house? you know, like, I never thought of that. Why don't we just do that? You know, like what a, what an easy solution. I was like, I'm just not smart as you, you know, to think of that one. And that's the kind of attitude that, yeah, I not have all that. Like, they just do this to me all the time, where it's like, well, why don't you just do this? like, I don't know, because money exists. Like, um, and that's the kind of feel you have here, where they ask for this thing that is outrageously huge, and Jesus' response is, boys, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't even know. And then he says, are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? They immediately answer yes, which is, which is completely out of ignorance, but what Jesus just did, and you really have to see this, is that he, he says you don't get that seat without suffering. The seat Jesus is going to, the, the, the throne Jesus gets through suffering and he say, oh, you want to sit next to me? That's, there's there's a, a suffering that is required for that seat. So what Jesus is saying in general is that greatness has a cost. I think that's a principle that plays out in every area of your life. Greatness has a cost. We don't think about that. We always think about the end result. We never think about the actual process that leads to it, right? And by the way, I think we also, and and I think we all have people in our lives that we look at and say they're great at something, right? You You can turn on the TV and you can see people who are great at things. And I think we have this tendency, and maybe you don't, maybe you're better than me, but we have this tendency when we see somebody who's great at something, we attach that greatness to two things. We attach it to their genetics and to their circumstances. Do you ever do this? Like where you look at somebody who's great at something, and you go, oh well, that's because they're six eight and they can fly, and that's because that's why they're in the NBA. If I were six eight and I could fly, I would also be in the NBA. You ever think that? I think that. I think that. I've thought that exact sentence. <laughs> if I were six eight and could fly, I would. I. I actually. I'm not even ex- like that's a little bit of exaggeration. I used to think. Because Michael Jordan. So when I was younger, it was Michael Jordan. Now it's LeBron. But I was when I was little, it was Michael Jordan. He was six six, and I always told my mom, I want to be six six. Like I had a goal. I have a goal height. And have a goal height. Like you can do anything about it. Well, eat your vegetables, and it doesn't matter. Um, not that I did. Maybe it, maybe it would have worked. I don't know. Six <laughs> six. If I'm six six, I'm in the NBA. I thought that for a long time. I still maybe you never know if I still think it or not. Um, but. You ha- and, and so uh, do you do that in the different areas? Do you look at somebody and say, it's, it's genetics, it's what they were born with? Or maybe you look at them and say, it's their circumstance. Like, well, if I had, you know, those opportunities or those parents, or if I grew up in that place or with these things, like then, you know, that's, that's why they're able to do it. We look at those two things, but I think well, if we can be honest in that, I don't know, it's church, I don't know, we don't tend to be very honest in church all the time, but I just want to say, if, if we're really honest, the reason we do that, we attach their greatness to things that they couldn't control and the things that we can't control because it kind of gives us a way out. Like, like we're arguing ourselves into being comfortable with our own averageness, you know? Because, well, if I had that or if I was this, then I did. And, and really you're trying to talk yourself into being comfortable with your own mediocrity. And I'm not saying MBA is like in anybody's future here, but what is your version of great? Stop using other people's, they were born with it, as an excuse to stay in your own mediocrity, because um, I do believe God is calling you to greatness. What Jesus is saying, there's a cost. There's a cost. Stop talking yourself out of paying it. There's a cost. Now, here's what he says next, <laughs> and this is, this is crazy to me, verse 23. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink the, my, the, um, from my bitter cup. You will indeed drink it, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So that's wild if you, come, if you attach 24 and, or 22 and 23 because like he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they say, yeah. And then he goes, okay. Like, that's crazy. Do you realize that's crazy? Like, it doesn't sound like uh, the way it's, the conversation goes, it doesn't sound like they were gonna drink the bitter cup at the moment they say, oh yeah, we totally can. Jesus is like, all right then, <laughs> here you go. But as he's handing them this Potential bitter cup. He goes, but I can't guarantee the outcome. <laughs> and they're like, never mind. You can, you can keep that cup. I'm good, right? Like, that's really important for us to see as well. Is that, hey, you can pursue greatness. You should pursue greatness. But Jesus isn't going to guarantee the outcome. He's not going to guarantee the outcome. So what that means is there's a relationship between pursuing greatness and and risk, there's a risk. There's an inherent built-in risk to pursuing greatness. And I wonder sometimes if this isn't one of the biggest things holding holding people back, maybe holding you back, maybe this is one of the biggest things holding you back. You have an aversion to risk. You feel, maybe you, you fear failure so much to the point that you don't even try. If the outcome isn't guaranteed or very nearly guaranteed, you aren't interested. And I just wanna say, if that's, if that's like your life's philosophy, if your life's philosophy is we're gonna avoid risk, my life's philosophy is I'm, I'm not gonna take a potential step towards something because of maybe failing or falling flat on my face, um, that path, the, the path where you just only always ever choose the safe thing, um, you're always avoiding the risky thing, you're always doing that, that path, doesn't lead to greatness. If you're only ever choosing the safe thing, if you're never ever taking a risk, you're not gonna end up in in great. You're not. The safe path doesn't lead there. Um, This is a really cool quote by Andy Stanley. He says this, um, a vision worth pursuing will demand sacrifice and risk. Listen to this next sentence. You will be called to give up the actual good for the potential best. You will be called to give up the actual good, the good you have in your hand. You have to give that up before you can pursue the potential best. It's almost like you're holding on to one thing, but you can't quite reach over here, so you have to actually let go of this before you can reach this thing. you, You can't hold on to this and pursue that. You're gonna have to actually let go of that, take a risk, this scary spot in between. I've let go, I can't quite reach, and then you have to reach for this that's what pursuing greatness can feel like sometimes because god's not going to guarantee the outcome he's not going to do that so i guess i want you to know that in your life if you if you're like drawn towards greatness but you're also drawn towards safety pick one because you can't have both you have to pick one what if what if that's like a big part of the walk of faith I don't know what I was thinking of when you say faith. It's like, okay, faith in Jesus, faith in God. But what if, like, practical day-to-day stuff, one of the aspects of faith that we don't talk about very much is that when you make decisions, rarely does a Christian know what God, like, you know, God told me. No, he didn't. It was the pizza you ate last night. Shut up. It's not the Holy Spirit. Um, Sometimes it's true. I'm sorry, I shouldn't like completely be mean about that. But a lot of times I think Christians throw that sentence around and it's not really true. So most of the time we're what? 70% sure? This is God. And you have to take a step not knowing if this is exactly what God wants you to do. What if, what if part of faith is just saying, hey God, I'm going to take this step. I could be wrong. It might not be you. It might be me. But I'm going to take this step. And I'm going to trust Not that you will give me my desired outcome, but that you're gonna work through this step no matter what. E, if I reach it, awesome. You're gonna work through that. Or if I whiff and I fall flat on my face, I believe you're gonna work through that too. What if that's a huge part of the walk of faith is just saying, God, I'm trusting you to do this thing and I'm trusting you even if I fail miserably, but I'm gonna keep pursuing it. What if that's a huge part of your walk of faith? Faith is not just believing that something's gonna happen. Faith is believing that God's gonna work no matter what happens. So you take the step. And I just think God likes it. I think God likes it. All right. So, back to the the story. Mommy... Kneeled down and made this massive request, Jesus just goes right at them and says, You don't know what you're asking? I'm like, Yes, we do, we totally want that. And Jesus said, Fine, you can have it, but I can't guarantee the outcome. Now, keep in mind, there are ten other disciples around. They heard that this happened. And predictively, I mean, what do you think? What do you think their opinion of this is gonna be? <laughs> Verse 24. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Indignant. That's the, that's the Bible word for mad. Can we say mad? Pit. They were pissed off about this? Am I allowed to say that? They were pissed off. Now, on one hand, I get it, right? If I were them and I heard that that question had been asked, I'd be ticked off. I'd be like, dude, what? Are you guys serious? And you had your mom ask, like, guys, like, it would be a thing, right? But on the other hand, I think this shows us something pretty common, and you need to remember this in your life. When you pursue greatness, the people in your life who are comfortable in their own mediocrity will not like it. You need to know that. Man, I just... A couple months ago, I saw this thing from... It was from Nick Saban. Forgive the the reference. I shouldn't even say his name in this church. But... um, Alabama head football coach, he's a a brilliant coach. He talked about how he only picks certain types of players for his team. He only picks players who wanna like, this my words, not his, pursue greatness. Because if you put the players on the team that are okay with mediocrity, they never get along with the players who wanna pursue greatness. And it it creates this friction between the two. He goes, so he doesn't fill spots with warm bodies. He only picks people who wanna pursue greatness because otherwise it, it just creates this culture war inside of the team. And I think you can kind of feel that With you look around in your circle and if you said, you know what, mentally I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna say I wanna pursue greatness in my life. I want you to know the people who are still mentally sitting are gonna go, "Ah," And they may may be bitter about it, they may be resentful about it, they may even fight you to try and get you to sit back down because it makes them uncomfortable because the light shining on your pursuit of greatness will spill over and they will be not okay with you shining the light on their mediocrity. Now you just need to know that. That's, a, that's one of the prices I think you're gonna have to pay. And this isn't a sermon about how to deal with that. I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. So the scene now is Jesus gave them this answer and now the disciples are all kind of having this little argument over here about greatness, right? And I'm just guessing, by the way, that the other 10 are at least a little irritated. That They're not mad that the question got asked. They're mad that they didn't ask it first. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's actually, I should have thought I asking my mom to do that. That would have been like a good idea, you know? So they're, they're irritated. It's not, they're not irritated because they don't care about the seat. They're irritated because they all want that seat. So they're arguing about it. And this, so that's the scene. That's the scene. Disciples all irritated. I don't know where mom went. She probably just went, oh my gosh, and walked off to the side. And here they are fighting. So, and Jesus hears this. And here's what he does. Check this out, verse 25. But Jesus called them all together. He said, okay, shh, shh, sh- come here, huddle up. I gotta talk to you guys. And here's what he says. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over the people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So again, Jesus does not say, hey, idiots, stop arguing about that. That's the dumbest thing you could ever argue about. You guys want to be great. You shouldn't even be wanting that. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, come here. Okay, y'all want to be great, huh? Here's how. And he gives this little master's course on on greatness, this little mini master's course. And he basically does two things with the common perception of a pursuit of greatness. He flips it upside down and he turns it inside out. He flips it upside down and he turns it inside out. Upside down, he says, hey, normally you look up for greatness. You're trying to climb up for greatness. And Jesus says, actually, true greatness is, is down. True greatness is, is climbing down. So if you could, you know, when we live in this world, we look at the world through our, our eyes. If you could put on some like kingdom goggles, some spiritual goggles and look at things. If you were looking at greatness, it'd look, you know, right side up. But then when you look through the spiritual goggles, it just flips. And Jesus says, hey, if you wanna be great, become a servant. It's the people who pursue that kind of a feel are really great, the people who are just here to climb some kind of positional ladder, that's not really, when you put on the spiritual goggles, they're, they're actually climbing down and not up. So it's upside down and it's also inside out. So again, common perception of greatness is that greatness is about me. And I'm looking at all the benefits and perks of being great and climbing that ladder and sitting at the top and going, look at you peasants, you're down there and I'm up here and now I get to enjoy this greatness. But Jesus says, no, 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 true greatness is about others. True greatness is when you live your life for other people, when you, li- when you allow God to work through you in the lives of others. So greatness is upside down and inside out compared to the way we would normally think about it. So in your life, one, I hope that if I asked again, hey, you know, stand up if you wanna pursue greatness, mentally stand up that you would mentally stand up because at least you feel like, hey, this is what God wants from me, that I should be pursuing greatness in my life. And then two, I would hope you see that greatness has more to do with your role in other people's lives than it does with you being good at something. You know what I'm saying? It's not about some craft. It's gonna be about your impact in the lives of others. It's gonna be allowing God's love to flow through you in this world. That's true greatness. It's not about some position. It's not about you know, some, some way people look at you. It's about the impact that you make in the lives of others. I wonder what your life would look like if you, if you mentally stood up for that. Worship team, why don't you guys come back? Get these teenagers back out here. I woke up this morning with this thought. I'm um, actually, <laughs> I couldn't remember who said it. I looked it up in between services. Um, it's a Mark Batterson quote that, um, your goal in life should not be to arrive safely at your death. As I was thinking about this sermon, that quote popped into my mind. Your goal in life should not be to arrive safely at your death. That's surviving, that's not living. And I don't think God's called you to that. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, I pray for the person sitting here right now who still struggles with, with the draw towards greatness, Lord. I pray that you would whisper to their soul today that you are the master craftsman And if they are a masterpiece, that means you created them on purpose for a purpose and you don't make mistakes. I pray, Lord, for the person who who maybe lives their life fearing risk and fearing failure, Lord, that uh, you would whisper faith to their soul right now to take that leap, to let go of that thing, to pursue that other thing for your glory trusting that either not not just that you'll give them the desired outcome but that you'll work through it even if they do fail Lord Lord I pray for this church that we would not be okay with mediocrity that we would not be okay with being good enough that we would feel collectively this draw towards doing something great because you are great we want to honor you we want what we are doing to reflect your greatness to the world Help us to see what it really is impacting the lives of others, allowing you to work through us, Lord. But that's it, that's the top, that's peak. In Jesus' name we pray.